Father, we bless you tonight, and you are the only one. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father but through you. And, and as we gather here tonight to study your word, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is here to minister and teach us, to guide us into all truth. We purpose in our hearts to yield unto you tonight that you might have your way in this place. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Go ahead and be seated. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So, I got a text today with some pictures and stuff on it, but I'll just tell you a little bit of the story. Um, you know, Gabe's going to be playing in a all-star game this weekend at, uh, I, I assume it's Tampa. It's where the Pro Bowl is on Sunday. And uh, I think it's Sunday, or is it Saturday? Sunday. And uh, so anyway, he thought he had surprised the boy cause, boys because he has Gabe and Joey with him. And so he drove, they drove through Tuscaloosa because they're driving over there. And they stopped off at uh, the stadium where Alabama plays, you know, just so the boys could see it. And so they're standing looking in the gates and thrilled and all of a sudden this woman comes along and she's head of the concessions at the University of Alabama and see she opened the gate and let him in and gave him a guided tour to all the facilities, the locker rooms and everything. So needless to say, uh, Gabe and Joe, Joe were, Joey were pretty excited. And uh, <clears throat> so anyway, the last text I got from them, they're saying they're about ready to go into the, the campus bookstore. And Gabe says, I don't know, I'm kind of afraid to go in there because I know I'm going to want everything in the place. <laughs> so anyway, and if you know Gabe, you know that that's absolutely true. He, he's the one grandkid that we have that is not interested in toys. Get him a pair of tennis shoes or a warm-up, and he's absolutely thrilled. So, so anyway, tonight we're going, to be, we're going to continue our series on... Um, the Believer's Authority, and uh, tonight we're going to talk about believe and receive. Remember last week we talked about revival and, and how really we, we need to or should be living in revival. Tonight we're going to talk about believe and receive, and, <clears throat> and begin with it says, and as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's our responsibility to boldly preach the gospel and faithfully teach God's word. You know, really, <clears throat> as believers, that's our primary responsibility. You know, I, I think oftentimes um, the gospel gets off track because uh, people begin to identify it with um, uh, human humanitarian aid and different things like that. 
And that's all part of it, you know, that ought to be part of the gospel since um, we love the world. But that can get to the point where that takes a priority over the preaching of the gospel. Um, you know, because I think it was T.L. Osborne that made the statement. He says, you know, sometimes you have to feed uh, people in other lands before you can preach the gospel to them because you got to get their stomach to quiet down so that they can hear. You know, but ultimately the desire is always for the gospel to be preached. And, and it's important for us as believers to never lose sight of that and not be distracted from that, that that's what our, our real calling is. And so uh, let's start reading out of Romans, the 10th chapter, and I'm going to start in the, in the 13th verse. And, and it starts, Romans 10, 13, it says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, so he's saying, whoever calls, whoever cries out to Jesus will be saved. Whoever, call, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then it goes on in the 14th verse and it says, How then shall they call in whom, on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? And then we drop down to the 17th verse. And it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes in no other way but by hearing the word of God. Um, I didn't think of it until now, so I'm trying to think of his name, but I can't, I can't remember the name of the individual, but um, he was in Africa, in Africa, and uh, he lived in a pagan society. But even living in a pagan society, he had a heart for what was right. And in his book, he talked about how he uh, was on the mountain just seeking God, not knowing what God was. And uh, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him and told him to go to such and such a place and he had to hear the truth. Kind of sounds like uh, Cornelius, only in reverse. Cornelius went, sent and got Peter to come to him. But he gave him directions to go to see a certain man. And he said, you'll hear the, the truth. And so he went, and this individual shared the gospel with him, and he got born again and became an evangelist and everything else. And, you know, I always looked at that, and I always thought, you know, why didn't the angel just tell him the truth so he didn't have to go on this long, extended journey? Well, the truth of the matter is, is angels don't preach the gospel. You know, and, and that's why, you know, you, you think about it, how, how privileged and how trusting God is because he's entrusted us with the most important message that could ever be shared, and that's the message of salvation. And one has to hear, but isn't it interesting that angels can't proclaim it? 
Angels can tell us where to go where we can hear it. He can give us directions, instructions, but they're not anointed, they're not called to preach the gospel. That's been entrusted to you and I. In Acts, the second chapter, and in the 38th verse, and what we're talking about again is believe and receive. But you know, it's interesting, in order to believe something, you got to hear it first. It's hard to believe something that you've, you've never heard. And so in Acts, the second chapter, in the 38th verse, this is on the day of Pentecost, and, you know, after thousands have been saved, and so on and so forth. But then in, in, in 38, Peter said to them, because they said, what, was, what must we do? What, what do we need to do to be saved? And Peter said to them, repent. And repent means Turn from your old ways, turn from what you've been trusted in, turn from what you've been putting your confidence in. Repent, and let each one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord your God will call. So anyone who so who's called? Well, you know, really, all are called, but there's few chosen because there's few that choose. You know, it's His will for all to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. You know, I know that there's, you know, a teaching out there of of predestination and. Uh, by the way, I believe in predestination. I believe that we've all been predestined to be saved. But there's those that choose it and there's those that don't. But the extreme of predestination, their, their, their philosophy is that some are predestined to be saved and others are predestined to be damned. Now, if, if that's the truth, if, if that's really how it is, then God didn't lie, then God lied to us because he said, I desire for all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so how could all come to the knowledge of truth if some have been predestined to be damned? And so like I said, I, I believe in predestination, you know, but I don't believe in it from the standpoint of predestinationists. I don't know if that's the right term or not. Because they say predestined 25 times to see if you do any better. You know, so now everybody says. But, um, you know, I, I believe in predestination. But I, I believe that we're predestined to be saved, but we have to choose. And then we walk in the predestined will of God for our lives. You know, because we can choose not to follow him if we, if we want to. You know, according to their philosophy, you really don't have a choice. You're either chosen to be saved or you're chosen not to be. Well, I don't believe that. I believe that we've all been chosen to be saved by our Lord Jesus. Otherwise, what would be the point of repentance? Repentance. 
what would be the point of the prayer? If, if it's already an established fact, what's the point of being here tonight? What's the point of church? What's the point of any of it? The point of it, because the command that's been given to us, is that we preach the gospel to all the world. Why? So that the ones that are predestined to be saved can realize that they're saved? And those that are predestined to be damned will realize that they're damned? No. It's so that all might be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And uh, it's, you know, in, in my thinking, of course, that's my thinking. In my thinking, it's foolishness. And, you know, I, I, I know individuals with, that, that have that predestined philosophy. And, uh, and uh, what, what is always so ironic to me is some of them are evangelistic. And I'm thinking, what, what, is, what is the point? You're making the assumption that everybody that you share with that prays the prayer with you has been predestined to be saved. And uh, so anyway, the other thing that I want us to see, and this, this is what I want, God has never quit pouring out his Holy Spirit. You know, last week we talked about um, revival, and I talked about the fact that I believe that, you know, revival isn't simply supposed to be an event in our life, that we're to live a life of revival. And <clears throat> that flows around or is involved in the fact that, that God has never quit pouring out his Holy Spirit. You know, uh, Rick Brenner was sharing the other morning about the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, he was talking about the scripture where it talks about how uh, we're to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event that we experience in our life. But the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the continual flow of the Holy Spirit in our life, that's to be continuous. It's an ongoing flow. We're to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray in tongues, it says that, you know, faith comes in one way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But in Jude 20, it says, praying in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up in your most holy faith. And so when we're praying in the Holy Spirit, we're building ourselves up in the Holy Spirit, or what we're doing is we're allowing or releasing that flow of the Holy Spirit in our life. We may not realize it, but every time we sit down and we read the Bible, every time we hear preaching of the word, listen to, to, to these things, we're allowing that filling in our life. I don't remember who I heard say this, but it was many years ago. He made this statement. He says, you know, faith comes by hearing. Faith goes by not hearing. You know, and so when we don't, when we don't continuously hear the word of God, our faith becomes weakened. We may not notice it immediately, but our faith becomes weakened because we're constantly, or we ought to be, constantly using our faith. And so we need to be constantly filling. And the other part of it is, is walking in the Spirit, walking with God, we're continually encountering new encounters. And so we need the constant infilling of the Holy Spirit so that we can deal with those things that we encounter in our life. The promise was intended to go 
from generation to generation to all believers throughout time. The promises were to go from generation to generation to generation to generation. But you know, one of the things that we've seen in the church over the last 2,000 years is that we'll have a generation that's excited about the things of God. And it may go on for another generation, but what happens is it begins to cool off. And then, what we, then we have what we call a revival. And we have this revival and people get saved. And really what it is, is it's not really a revival. Because oftentimes people, even though they may have grown up in church, but they're being introduced to Jesus really for the first time. Because we've slacked off from those truths. And so then we have another generation or two that's excited about the things of God, but then they begin to back off again. You know, Brother Hagen, he... he he always said this, and he said this to young preachers. I was a young preacher at that time, you know, and uh, now I'm the old preacher. You know, but I was a young preacher at the time, but he, he said, and he said this to Rama graduates. I didn't graduate from Rama, but, you know, I heard him preach it, and I've read his books and tapes and everything, and he said, take my books, take my tapes, outline them, memorize them, preach them. But then he said, but don't stop there. Continue to grow from there. You know, when I went to Bible school, the, the morning or the afternoon that I was, we were leaving to move to Missouri from Ankeny, my pastor stopped in, uh, in the, from the denomination that we were a part of. And he said, he said, Dave, he said, you're doing the right thing. I believe you're doing the right thing in going to the school that you are going to because I would have thought he wanted me to go to one of the seminaries of the denomination. And he says, you're doing the right thing because he says, all that I see coming out of our seminaries are, and he used the name of the denomination, in other words, cookie cutters. Because every seminary student over the last 150 years that this denomination has been in existence, they've basically received the same teaching over and over again, but they haven't received the continual perpetual revelation of the Holy Spirit. Why is it important for us to continue study the Word? Why is it important for us to read this Bible over and over again? Because I believe that there's a, a perpetual revelation there, there's nothing new in the Bible, but our understanding grows. The revelation that we get grows. The understanding that we have of what God's truly trying to tell us is able to grow. And so we can walk in greater and greater revelation. Why? Because we see more of the Word than we've ever seen before. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced it. I've experienced it. I still experience it where I'll be reading through the scripture and I'll come across the passage. And all of a sudden it's like, I've never read this before. But I know I've read it before because for the last 25 years, I've read through the Bible every year. So I know I've read it and I couldn't have missed it 25 times or 30 times, whatever it is. You know, because the first years I didn't get into doing a reading through the Bible. 
as religiously as I am now. Actually, I'd have to go back further than that because I did it in Wapaka, so it's been at least 38 years that I've been doing it. So, so the best of my calculations, I know that I've read through the Bible at least 38 times. And I know that I've read through the, the New Testament because I read through it twice a year. I know that I've read through it at least 76 times. And sometimes I've, I've read through it more than that. And that's not counting the study and everything. And why do I say that? I say that because I'll still come across the passage and I'll think, why didn't I ever see this before? Well, if it's in the New Testament, I know that I've seen it at least 76 times. But this time, all of a sudden, something comes alive. Don't ever get discouraged in reading the Bible. Don't ever get the feeling, well, I've read this before. Don't ever feel like I've read it enough, I don't need to do it anymore. No. We need to continually read the Bible. Why? Because we need to be being filled. One of the ways that we're able to do that is through the Word of God. It isn't just simply having somebody lay hands on me and tell them to, you know, get me filled with the Holy Ghost again. There comes a point where we play a part in it, where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that he can accomplish in our lives what he wants to accomplish. I call it the generational transfer. The revelation that you and I have isn't supposed to stop with us. It's supposed to be passed on to the next generation. And that next generation is supposed to take the revelation that we were able to pass on to them and they're to take it further. And then the, the, the generation that comes after them, rather than start all over again, they're to take the revelation that we have and go on with that. You know, I'm, I'm excited about the fact, you know, I, I grew up in church. You know, and uh, my grandfather in particular was very religious. But you know what, I didn't get much of it even though I sat in church every Sunday. It was age of, at the age of 24, I got born again, received Jesus, started my walk with him. Now, the thing that excites me, because I can look back, and as far as I can see in our family tree, because I have some relatives that are kind of into some of that stuff, and they've gone back to Germany and stuff, but in all of my reading of the material, I haven't found a preacher but me. And so, as far as I can tell, in our lineage, I'm the first preacher. But you know what? Now there's my children, and now there's my grandchildren. And Isaac, who is now preaching over in, uh, an associate pastor over in Harlan, Iowa, we have three generations. But see, that's how it's to go with everything. We look at it and we think, well, you know, I didn't have any heritage of Christianity in my life. Well, praise the Lord. You get a set a new course Amen. for all the generations that follow after. Amen. But see, that's why it's so important for us to, to be so set in our ways that we refuse to stray off that course, that we stay on course. Why? It's not just simply for us. It's for the generations that come after us. You know, as you know, you've heard me say it 150 times, I go to the prisons. You know, one of the constant voices that I try to get into the ear of those prisoners 
is that it, ser- it pays to serve God. And if you don't want to serve God for yourself, serve God for the generations that are coming after you. Because for the course to be changed, there has to be a change in the course. And you know what? That's our responsibility for the generations that follow after us, that we get on course and we stay on course so our children, our grandchildren, if Jesus tarries, our great-grandchildren can be on that course and have greater experience in the things of God than you and I ever even imagined. Because after all, as a parent, isn't that what we want? We want our children to be able to go further than we ever imagined going. We want them to be more successful than we would have ever imagined being successful. But you know what? We need to get it in in, in a proper context as well. We need to desire that our children have a greater spiritual life than we ever had. But I think oftentimes when we think of that generational transfer, we think of of the physical realm, of the material things. But you know, biblically speaking, it's the spiritual things that we pass on to them that they might receive and go even further. We can just believe and receive the free gifts he gives us. Isn't that awesome? We can believe and receive. That's all that's to it. I mean, of course, then there's action that comes after that because if we believe something, if we believe we've received something, there's going to be actions that go accordingly. You know, that's what James is talking about when he says faith without works, faith without corresponding action is dead. So faith, and it's not a legalistic statement, but faith will always have a response. There will always be an action that goes along with that. It's in your your notes, Luke, the 24th chapter, the 49th verse, it says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father unto you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so he says, I'm, I'm sending you the promise. The promise is available to you. But back here he's saying, and he's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit specifically. And he's saying to them, but, but you stay in Jerusalem until that power from on high comes upon you. It says tarry or remain and wait in Jerusalem. Why did they have to wait? You know, <clears throat> where... This has been taken out of context is we'll have people for 20 years tarrying, waiting on the Holy Ghost. What they need to do is receive. I remember Brother Hagen. You can't ever forget Brother Hagen because some of his stories are so marvelous because of some of the things that he was involved in. But he's talking about, you know, <clears throat> he he got a hold of this revelation of believing and receiving. And he brought it into the context of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said he'd come into these churches and he'd begin to preach, and he'd preach, you know, on healing and so forth, but he'd also include the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he'd talk about the importance of believing that it is available to you, and then you receive it like you would receive any other of the blessings of God. You receive it, 
and you expect the manifestation of it. And he had a guy that was in one of his meetings, and this guy was, I think he was probably in his 80s because he had been in one of Amy McPherson's meetings, and she was an old-time Pentecostal years and years back, and a lot of our, uh, in fact, the Four Square Church, um, she was kind of the founder of that. And a lot of the other Pentecostal churches then were, were offshoots of that. And back then they, they preached, tarrying, waiting on the Holy Ghost until it came upon you. And so this guy had been tarrying for the Holy Ghost for over 60 years, waiting, asking for the outfilling of the Holy Spirit, but never seeing the manifestation of it. And so he sat through Brother Hagin's teaching, and Brother Hagin taught about believing that it was available and that it belonged to you, that it was a promise that was made to you. And if you believe that that promise was made to you, then receive it. And once you've received it, expect the manifestation of it. And so here this guy is in his 80s, who's been tarrying for the Holy Ghost for all of these years. And he, Brother Hagin asked him when he came forward, for, do you believe that it's available to you? Yeah, I believe. Have you received it? Well, I'm waiting. When I, when I get it, I'll know it. He says, no, you need to receive it. And anyway, the guy took his counsel, received the Holy Spirit. Brother Hagin laid his hands on him, and he shunned died all over the place, praying in the Holy Ghost. And that's, that's how it is with the promise of God. We need to know that it belongs to us. You know, I, re I remember when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I hadn't heard a lot about it because I grew up in a denomination that didn't, didn't preach it, so we didn't hear about it. You know, it's hard to believe in something that you don't hear about. And, and so uh, I read this book because this Bible study at Vern Lewis's house that we had been a part of, uh, they were talking about this. And so I read this book. And at the end of the book, it had a prayer. I prayed the prayer. Didn't feel anything. Guess nothing happened. So the next night, I read the book again. You can tell it wasn't a very big book. <clears throat> read the book again. The end of the, there was this prayer. But then I noticed something. On the day of Pentecost, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then they began to pray in other tongues. Did you get the order of it? They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then they began to pray in other tongues. And so I, I, I laid there and in my, my bed, and I, I said, Father, I thank you that you've made this available to me, I receive right now the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Didn't feel a thing. But I said, but, so Father, I thank you because I've asked in faith. I believe that you've baptized me in the Holy Spirit and I thank you for it. I thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Father, now that I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to go ahead and pray in other tongues. And I've been shunned dying ever since. But you know, it is an act of faith. I just wanted to prove to you that I still did. That's, that's, how, the, that's how easy the promises of God are. 
But you know, what what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants to convince us that there's something that we have to do to earn it or to deserve it. That we have to get good enough. That I have to clean up my life and then the Holy Spirit will come upon me. Well, the problem with that is I'll never be clean enough. But the Holy Spirit, he comes into me as a clean vessel, not because of how I live, but because of what Jesus has done for me. You see, it always has to come back to Jesus. Then Acts 1, 4 and 5, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, this is Jesus again, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Notice what they were waiting for. They were waiting for the manifestation of the promise. What was the promise? The promise was that after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, when he had gone to the Father and he was seated at the right hand of the Father, God on high, he would send the Holy Spirit. That was the promise that Jesus was going to send the Holy Spirit. And so he said, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so, the reason we aren't seeing more revival is because few people are in the place where they're allowing the flowing of revival. And when the Holy Spirit is flowing in our lives, we may not recognize it as such, but we're in the process of experiencing revival. Believing God's word, taking our authority, making the power of God manifest, all of that are manifestations of the revival that we're to have in our life. You know, anytime we look at ourselves and we're not where we once were, we need to realize we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work and accomplish what he wants in each of our lives. In her notes it says, we must step out in faith and use what God has given us or revival won't manifest. You know, it isn't based on what we don't have. And I think oftentimes that, that's what we look at. We look at our life, we, we compare ourselves with others, and we look at what we don't have rather than recognizing and acknowledging what we do have. And so, God isn't expecting to use in your life what you don't have. He wants to use in your life what you do have, what has been manifested. And so on the day of Pentecost, he poured out his Holy Spirit. The thing that I want us to see is that he's never withdrawn it. Still here, it's still working. You'll encounter some schools of thought that say, well, um, we don't, we don't need the Holy Spirit. We don't give the, need the gifts of the Holy Spirit today because um, we have 
uh, all these other things. We don't need the gifts of tongues because we've learned how to learn languages. Uh, we don't need the gifts of healings because uh, we have the medicine that we have today. Well, you know, it's, what's interesting is there's more diseases today that don't have a cure than probably any other time in the history of, of humanity. We just don't hear about them because we don't experience them in Jefferson, Iowa. But there, there, there are. There's, there's diseases. We don't need prophecy, you know, because, you know, we, we've got preachers and so forth. No, we, we need to be able to hear from God. We need all the manifestations of the Spirit. We, need, we probably need miracles more today than we ever have in the history of humanity because of the, the conditions round about us. Acts 2.38 says, For the promises to you, everybody say the promises to me. And of course, I know that he's talking to the individuals there in, in that room. He says, for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And he'll call all. You know, <clears throat> Martin Luther heard the word of God and he believed it. Now the word of God has always been, remember Luther was a monk. And, and so what, what happened, his downfall was as a monk, he would copy the scriptures and so on and so forth. And in doing so, he began to see some things that didn't, that didn't agree with, that didn't jive with what he had been taught. That's where the Reformation began. It began uh, because... Martin Luther began to see some things in Scripture and it wasn't presented the way that it was, was written in, in Romans 3.27 because Romans is the book that really um, influenced Martin Luther and the Reformation. And it says, where is the boasting then? In Romans 3.27. Where is the boasting then? Is, is, is it excluded? But what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You know, we have a lot in the day that we're in that are wanting to take us back and put us under the law once again, wanting to tell us that we have to keep certain rules and regulations, otherwise we're really not following after the truths and the principles of God that we're, you know, uh, if we're not doing certain things, uh, we're questioned as to whether or not we're, being, we're really saved or not. But <clears throat> the Reformation came against those things. Listen again what he says, Paul says in the 28th verse, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So, other than receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, 
There's absolutely nothing that I can do to be saved. And so, of course, the argument then is always, well, you grace people. You think you can do whatever you want. Well, yeah. But as a believer, I follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always lead me in a life of obedience. Every time I miss the mark, it isn't because the Holy Spirit has led me there. It's because I've chosen not to listen to him. I've chosen not to follow him. And so, not in my greatest imagination as a Christian, do I believe that I have the right to do whatever I want to do. I have the right to do anything that the Holy Spirit leads me to do. Well, how do you know it's the Holy Spirit? Because I can always check it out. Because he will never lead me in a way that is contrary to the Word of God. Here we go full circle again. Why is it so important for us to study the Word of God? Because how else are you going to know his will? When he speaks to you and asks you to do something, how are you going to know that it's the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Word, which is Jesus. Because the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all in agreement with one another. I mean, they're in cahoots. They're in total agreement with one another. And so the Word of God will never lead us in a way that the Father doesn't want us to go. The Holy Spirit will never lead us in a way that the Word would not direct us because ultimately we're here for one purpose. We're here to see our Father God magnified and glorified. Yeah. I think anybody that questions Brother Hagen's position on grace should read his book on grace. You know, rather than, than make an assumption. Because I think a lot of people do. He, he may not preach grace from the same standpoint that we do because he has a different background. You know, and we always have to remember is there, there, there's growth. But Brother Hagen would have never told you um, that you have to add something to your salvation in order for you to be saved. And so, yes. You see, faith and grace harmonize with one another. Grace, as we've shared when we went through um, the series on grace, Grace is God's part. Grace is everything that Jesus accomplished for you and I. Every one of the promises are the graces of God. When we're born again, we are born again with the fruit of the Spirit. Now that fruit may have to develop in our life. 
But that fruit, by the grace of God, already resides on the inside of us because the fruit of the Spirit, it, it defines and describes the characteristics of God. And those characteristics within our born-again spirit, they reside there. And that's why we, we must renew our minds because our minds are focused on the flesh. The mind is focused upon the old life. But when we begin to renew our minds according to the Word of God, we begin to see God as He truly is. And when we begin to see God as He truly is, we can begin to see who we really are. Because the Bible says that we've been created in His image. And so when you're created or when you're in the image of something, within you is the resemblance of that. You know, I, I, I know all you women are better at this. You know, you look at a baby and you think, oh, they, they look just like so-and-so. I look at a baby and I think, that looks just like a baby. <laughs> you know, but, but you look at it and because it's somebody's son or somebody's daughter or relative, you think that baby resembles that individual. Why? Because it's got some of their DNA in them. It's got, you know, it, it's, it's passed on. Well, you know what? I got some new DNA in me. I, I've got God's DNA in me. My spirit is a brand new spirit in Christ Jesus. And so, as I follow after him, I ought to begin to resemble him. You know, uh, you know, people say after you've been married to somebody long enough, you, you begin to look like one another. I pray that that's not true because I would not wish that on Becky for the life of me. You know, but, but why is that? It isn't because their, uh, their features have changed necessarily, but it's, it has to do with behavior and all of those things. And so there's a, there's a resemblance. You can, you can tell people by the family they they, they come from, you can tell people by who they hang out with. I used to be able to tell which group of friends my kids were hanging out with when they came home by their behavior. If they were mouthy and, well, we won't go into it. I could tell. But when they were hanging around the right atmosphere, the right people, you could tell. You could tell by their behavior. I don't know about you. I can tell within myself what kind of environment I've been in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. You know, I, I, can, I can tell just by the thoughts, the feelings, my reactions. I can tell what I've been, been around. That's why the Bible is so emphatic about guarding your heart, guiding, guarding your, your, your ear gate and your eye gate, guarding what comes in through your sight and through your hearing. Because whether we think so or not, it affects us. It has a dramatic effect upon us. And we may think it's not, but everybody around us knows it is. And so we need to guard those things. And so, 
Luther, he saw this, this scripture and he began to meditate on these scriptures and he could see that what they had been teaching and what they had been taught to teach wasn't accurate. It wasn't about penance and, and, and sacrifice and all of these things. It was about faith, putting our trust in Jesus. You know, when we, in, in the 50s, I think it began probably in the, the late 40s, there was in the United States what was known as the healing revival. And uh, Oral Roberts was part of the root of that and, 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 and many other individuals. But what happened was they, they began to see in scriptures concerning healing. And they began to see that what they had been presenting, what they had been taught, wasn't accurate. And so they began to preach and teach according to the word of God. And as a result of that, that healing power was released in the earth. But you know what? Just like the Reformation, faith in God alone for our salvation, that wasn't to end with a period of time where we had a Reformation. and That was, that was to continue. But you know what's ironic? Is you go to Germany today, where Martin Luther you know, began with the Reformation, you, Christendom is hard to be found. You go to England with the Wesleys and, and all of those great men and women, Smith Wigglesworth and John G. Lake. And thank God there's Rhema there. We, we support Nancy, who's in the Bible school there. And so they're making an impact on the nation. But, but the nation as a whole, you would think it would be this mighty, powerful force, but it's not. You know, you go to Italy and they have these magnificent cathedrals, but they're empty. They're not just void of people, they're void of the Spirit. Why is that? Because something started... But it ended, but it was never intended to end. Just like the healing revival. It wasn't a revival that was supposed to be just for a period of time until the year 63 come up and then it comes to a close. No, it was to continue on. It wasn't to come to a close. In the 80s, 70s and 80s when we had the charismatic renewal, a new modern name for revival, that wasn't supposed to be an end to itself. It was to continue. The word of faith was to continue. This message of grace that we're preaching today is to continue. But you know what? It's, it's an interesting thing about all these principles. I'm getting way away from my message. But it's your fault. Because you're here. But you know, I found something out. Revelation builds upon revelation. 
When I get fresh revelation, that doesn't mean that I have to forsake everything that I've heard in the past. There may be certain adjustments that need to be made. But revelation builds upon revelation. When I got born again, that was a revelation to me. It revolutionized my life. But I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't have to forsake that. That was built upon that. That revelation revolutionized my life. And when I heard the message of faith, I didn't have to forsake everything that I'd heard in the past. That added to it, built upon that. That revelation, along with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the new birth, revolutionized my life. When I heard the message of healing, I didn't have to forsake anything. I was able to build that or lay that upon the revelation of faith, the revelation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the new birth, and that revelation of healing revolutionized my life. You know, I've made the statement along the way that when I experienced some of these things, it was like getting born again again. I didn't, but it revolutionized. When I got a hold of the message of prosperity, I didn't have to forsake everything that I'd heard. It was built upon the revelation of healing, the revelation of faith, the revelation of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of the new birth. And that revelation of prosperity revolutionized my life. And I heard this message of grace. I know people that say you have to choose between grace and faith. Why, why in the world would you do that? Because you can't have grace without faith. It doesn't weaken faith. It strengthens faith. Because it reveals in a greater way what you have faith in and why you have faith. And so when I heard this message of grace is like getting born again again. I mean, here I am in the ministry all these years. And I've preached grace all these, these years. I, <clears throat> I've always been accused of being too gracie. So just call me gracie. <laughs> but when I heard this message of grace, it was like being born again again. And people say, well, you're going to the extreme. Well, it's funny, is I haven't had to forsake anything that I held on to in the past. I was able to add it, or let me rephrase that, build upon the foundation, the structure that was already there. And I believe that structure is going to take me further. Well, Pastor Dave, is grace the end? I sure hope not. Unless Jesus is coming back, I know that it's not. 
And so one of these days you'll hear the greatest revival of all times. And you hear the message that comes out of it. And there will be those that will say everything prior to this is insignificant. Well, they're wrong. Everything prior to it is very significant. Because if this truth is truly truth, it will build upon the foundation. You know, our old house, it's 130 some years old that we live in. And you know, we've, we've remodeled the original structure and put new siding and new roof and everything on it. <clears throat> but it's been added on to three times. I did it twice. But you know what? <clears throat> Every time I added on to that house, I didn't tear the old house down. I added on to the, they added on to the house, the Durlams when they owned it. They added on a family room. And uh, that family room added quality to that house. Effectiveness in being able to live in that structure. And then I added another family room. It was going to be a playroom. But it ended up being our family room. And I, where the old family room was, I took out the window and cut it down to the floor and put a door in there and where the window was in the kitchen, I took that window out and put a look-through opening and have another table and added a bathroom and had a laundry room down there but moved it upstairs and now it's a pantry and so continue to add. But you know, when I added that room, I didn't tear the other one down. I added to it. And for us, it's more livable than it's ever been. And then I added on again. Added on a breezeway and a two and a half car garage with a, whatever you call it, above it, stairway going up there so we can get up there. It took two additions, but now we have the playroom. The kids are up there and it's wonderful. Especially when a good ball game is on. It's just fantastic. But you know what? When I added it on, I didn't tear, it, didn't tear the old house down. I added it on and add quality. Added livability. That's the word of God. You don't have to tear up your foundation to receive new revelation. Because new revelation... If it's truly revelation, you'll add it to what you already have. Again, there may be some redirection taking place there because I had to change some things to have the entries and stuff the way I wanted it. Some things may change, but the basic foundation, it'll remain. It'll remain solid and it remains strong. And I have an expectation. I have an expectation that there's going to be more. I'm just believing I'm going to be around long enough to see more of it. If not, I'll cheer you on from heaven. 
Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Did you get anything out of this? I sure got away from those notes tonight. Praise the Lord. You know, uh, I use the same notes up at the prison that I use here. I probably shared this with you, but one night I was getting ready to start and I saw some guys sitting in the back and they were kind of chuckling and stuff. And I said, what's going on? What, what are you talking about? And he said, well, you really want to know? And I said, yeah, I really want to know. So said, oh, we're taking up bets. Bets? Yeah, we want, we're betting how far you're going to get into the notes tonight. So, so Monday night, I gave the introduction. That's it. And I went a whole new direction. Praise the Lord. Well, be blessed in the name of Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Jesus loves you. So do I. We all know because the Bible says God loves us, and that's all we need. Amen. Go home.